Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Today on the podcast, my guest is John Brubaker. John is a former college lacrosse coach who is now a leadership author, speaker, and executive coach. In fact, he's my coach. Today, we're going to be talking about his award-winning leadership book called Seeds of Success and the impact that one leader can make in the world. Leaders, this podcast is a reminder of how important our role is in impacting the lives around us. This is a powerful conversation that you don't want to miss. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to episode 14 of the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by John Brubaker. John is a professional speaker, executive coach, and an award-winning author of 11 books on leadership performance. Now, you might know him on Twitter as Coach Brew. Yes, he's the guy who likes to Photoshop all my Friday motivational posts. But today, I want to talk to him about a book that he wrote. It's called Seeds of Success. And in my mind, it's one of the best books I've ever read about a mentor-mentee relationship, and I wanted to talk to him about that today. So, John, welcome. Hey, John. Thanks for having me here. It is Thursday, so it's almost Friday. Let's go. It'll be tomorrow morning. That's right. <laughs> Photoshop Friday, baby. Photoshop Friday. So, uh, I introduced you briefly, but um, tell us a little bit more about yourself, but specifically, um, you were a college lacrosse player and eventually went on to coach college lacrosse. So, how did how did you go into the into the coaching profession in the beginning? Uh, I stumbled into it by accident, really. Uh, I wasn't a PE major. I wasn't uh, a teacher. Um, didn't go the education route. I was uh, just um, coaching lacrosse while I was in grad school, getting my doctorate. Uh, well, first getting my master's uh, at my alma mater. I was a GA and coached my fifth year there. And then um, while I was getting my doctorate, I was just uh, – coaching um like a middle school team just to give back to the game get outside as opposed to spending all my time in a classroom or a library and uh just have fun it's a sport that i love that i played since you know i was in eighth grade and um kind of caught the coaching bug there uh, i was introduced to a young man at uh the the rec department field who was a college athlete and he had asked me, you know, we, we met a bunch of times there and just passed the ball around and talked. And he asked me if I'd ever be interested in coaching college lacrosse. And I said, eh, you know, maybe some point, like when I'm retired or, yeah, I don't know, you know, uh, it wasn't like a career ambition. He said, well, you know, uh, the assistant coach at my college just stepped down. Our head coach is looking for someone new. You'd be great. I, you know, I want to introduce you to him. I said, eh, I don't think I'm interested in that. He's like, listen, man, just have a, what's it hurt to just have a conversation? And I said, yeah, you're probably right. Sure. Um, so I had a conversation. The conversation led to a very unique job interview. And that's sort of where I got hooked on, you know, um, coaching at the college level. I spent 12 years doing that, uh, assistant coach, worked my way up to head coach, um, 
coached division one, two, three, like each level. And then ultimately in 2004, uh, got fired on my birthday for not winning a national championship. Mm. And I think that's, um, kind of a telltale mark, a telltale marker of the fact that, um, the business side of sports has infiltrated a minor sports and B the small college level. You know, I was coaching a small division two school or the, the smallest school in the NCAA at the time we had 650, 700 students. We had just gone to the NCAA final four, two years earlier. Um, we had top rank recruiting classes, multiple all Americans, academic all Americans. I had a road scholarship finalist the year before I got fired. You know, so we were doing everything the right way, graduating kids and just didn't win the big one. And, um, yeah, so I thought that was the worst thing that happened to me. It actually turned out to be the best thing that happened for me. I was going to say, um, in a way, I'm glad that it happened because yeah. you've been writing, you know, you've been, you know, coaching uh, leaders, you've been speaking and you've been writing books and of which I've read several. And, um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you, you, you dove in the world of, you know, coaching leaders because you've been coaching me and uh, reading your books and just, you know, learning what you've learned over the years. I think, you know, it's in a way it's great that you've been able to come into this world versus just being in the, the college coaching world. So I know, I understand you, you were a TV or a radio personality for quite a, quite a while too with the, yeah, I've, I've got a face for radio, don't I? Uh, yeah. I was going to say that, but, but um, so the, the book I wanted to talk to you about today and it, and it, and it deals with lacrosse is seeds of success. And I want to tell you, I have read your other, your other books, which are more entrepreneurial, more, you know, how to differentiate yourself against the competition, which I absolutely love that stuff. But my passion is leadership. And when I read Seeds of Success, this book blew me away because I think in this book, you really uncover or you tell a story of a mentor and a mentee that I, I it, it's, it's very deep. And I, and I really like the way you tell the story. Uh, so what motivated you to write this book? Yeah, it's interesting. Number one, that, um, you know, we've known each other for a while before you finally yes. stumbled into and, yes. and got around to reading this one. Yes. And it turns out to be the one you love the most out yes. of you know, all the others that you read. Uh, so that's just really cool for me to hear. Uh, it's the one that I, <clears throat> most closely identify with because, um, yeah, it's technically like a, um, like a modern business fable essentially about a mentor and a protege, but it is, um, based on my time with my coaching mentor. Mm. And, um, sure. I took some creative license with a few things in there, but it's not far off from what really happened with us and the impact that, uh, you know, just one leader can have on a person's life. And, you know, I look at, uh, I'm deviating from your question, but, um, That's okay. Guess- yeah, the, the, you know, the impact of, of one leader, mm. uh, the, like the magnitude of a mentor can't be underestimated. I look back at, at, um, the guidance he gave me after, you know, I became a head coach and, you know, the career decisions I made, if I hadn't listened to him and taken his advice, about certain jobs I took, like I wouldn't have been kind of on the path or on the route to take the job I took where I met my wife. And if I hadn't met my wife, you know, I wouldn't have the kids that I have and the family that like my life would have turned out very differently without his guidance. 
Well, you even talk about that in the book. You talk about the ripples, right? The, mm-hmm. You know, a pebble goes into to a lake and the ripples and the effects. And and uh, your mentor had a lot had had ripples into a lot of people's lives. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But um, and I think that that's uh, I think you're getting right down to where it's at, where you're saying is that leaders can have a real influence. Coaches, leaders, teachers can have a real influence on yeah. not just uh, you know the direct people that are in you know around them but also you know going out further with families and and generations even so mm-hmm. um so you you touched on this a little bit but why did you write the story I, I, oh, I still haven't answered your question i'm sorry oh well that's okay <laughs> so yeah. i to answer your question which i think you're going to repeat before i rudely interrupted you okay uh, it was simply like um there's a side of a leader that their people their team their employees get to see their proteges get to see and that isn't always the same guy or the same woman that their family, their wife, their husband, or the kids always get to see. And I had no intentions of writing this book uh, until I attended his funeral. Mm. And I saw multiple generations, as you just mentioned, of his former players, you know, uh, players that played for him and then their kids mm. who played for him. Uh, so it was definitely multi-generational. They all had the exact same experience and the exact same experience that I had as his assistant. And the disconnect was his family, you know, his kids, grandkids, uh, in-laws, like they didn't know him like we did. Mm. And, you know, I, um, they asked me to share a few words at the, you know, with the eulogy at the service. And then that turned into um, just sharing some stories with the family at the reception and I realized like the, the man that we came to know and love is very different than the person they knew. Mm. And my goal was to kind of chronicle and catalog some of those stories for their benefit so they could get to see a different side of their dad, their grandfather. And um, that's what turned into the book. And it, you know, if it never won a single award, if it never sold you know, a single copy and I just gave a dozen copies away to his family, it was mission accomplished. But it turned mm. into much more than that. So well, that's sort of the the genesis of it, and that's and that's why you chose to write it in a fictional format versus a you know a nonfiction book, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so in the book, you've got this uh, young Jack Burton, right? He's the main character, uh, and he's and he's mentored by a legendary coach, and and in the book, the coach is named Morgan Randall. He's this legendary. Coach that have been starting lacrosse programs all over the country, been doing it for 40 years. Um, And Jack gets to be his assistant coach just by chance, if you will. Um, How closely does this, and you touched on this a little bit, how closely does does this story match your own personal story with the real legendary coach, uh, Randy Mills? Uh, it, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent match there. There's a little bit of creative license and obviously names were changed, yeah. uh, simply because to be able to track down a lot of these people and get their permission yeah, to, yeah. to utilize, use their identity, uh, would have been just, you know, um, darn near impossible. But the, you know, the story itself, the foundational leadership experiences and the lessons I learned, um, all line up almost seamlessly with the content in the book, you know, names are changed. Uh, coach Morgan Randall, you know, his uh, first name is Randy. His last name became Randall. Mm. Uh, his dog 
who is a black lab Newfoundland mix, this enormous, beautiful dog with just shiny jet black coat. Uh, his name was Morgan. Ah, nice. And uh, so it's just sort of, uh, it's the perfect name you know, to combine, you know, those, those two. And, you know, that's really kind of, you know, how things were, were built, you know, in you know, the kind of the pre-book outlines and writing. And yeah, the stories almost match up perfectly. Some locations and things were changed, right, but right. yeah, he's every bit as eccentric and funny in real life. He was, uh, as he is in the book. So, so you get to really, one of the things I like about the book is you build the character up of Morgan Randall and uh, you really get to love this, you know, he's, he's kind of over the top, isn't he? I mean, he's, uh, yeah. he's larger than life. He has, uh, you know, decades of experience and um, you, you learn to love him by the end of the book. And um, I did a little research after I read the book and I actually looked into Coach Mills and a little bit about his history and the things that he did and everything I read, the word that they used for him to describe him was he was a lacrosse icon. The word living legend was was everywhere that I read in, in stories about him. And that and the other thing I kept reading was how he impacted so many people's lives. Yeah. And that was consistent with everything I, I researched on, on my own, just what I could find on Google. Um, so what was it like being around a, a leader, a mentor like this? Because at the time you were very young and you're with a, a, a guy that's been doing it for 40 years. What was that experience like being around someone that was so well known and had such a, such a reputation? Well, number one, it was refreshing because I was 24 years old. I had just come off of a really bad experience as a college athlete playing for a coach who, um, uh, you, it was, it was just, um, kind of an abusive experience really. You, uh, uh, no other way to put it. So this was refreshing and you got to see, um, you know, you have an experience where a coach really genuinely cared about his players and treated them like his own sons. You know, mm, yeah. uh, he was he was a uh, father to 45 sons every year. Mm. His wife was the mother to 45 children every year. And uh, he treated me, you know, like like family, like I was one of his own. Um, you know, it uh, didn't start off that way because, mm. um, you know, he's old school. Mm-hmm. And you had to earn his trust. You know, it was all gained, not given. You had to earn it. And he had some eccentric ways, uh, which I'm sure we're going to dive into. But, you know, I knew, like, I knew what I was getting into and that, like, I was going to work for somebody that probably forgotten more lacrosse than mm. the, than everyone else, myself included, had ever learned, you know. Um, and that was exciting. And it was, you know, easily the most rewarding experience of my life. Yeah, I, I I get the feeling that uh, all of your preconceived ideas uh, at what a college coach should be were thrown upside down in the short amount of time with Coach Mills. What what I gather, you know, when he yep. handed you a, a blank playbook essentially mm-hmm. and said, "We're you know," and you were asking like, "How do I you know what plays do I need to learn? How do I learn yep. the plays?" and he he would switch it. He would tell you a story and, and switch it around. And, and, uh, so I think, is it true that you're, you're thinking about what, what coaching is or could be changed through your relationship with coach Mills? A hundred percent. You know, um, you know, I'd asked originally when, before the season started, Hey, can I 
study a playbook. Yeah. And he's like, you really want to study a playbook? I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to get acquainted with, you know, the team. If there's game film, he didn't watch game film. Um, and he said, oh, if you're hell bent on studying a playbook, here you go. And he pulled like what almost looked like a, like an old leather bound kind of fo- uh, photograph yeah. album, like back when pictures were actually sent away and got printed yeah, yeah. out and, and you put them under like the cellophane shield on the page. Anyway, like this old three ring bound leather, dusty, ancient distressed thing. He said, here you go. Have at it. Won't take you long. It's like, it's like an encyclopedia thick, you know, like, what do you mean? What's the old man? Is he the old man crazy? What's he mean? It won't take long. I open it up and it's like 200 blank pages. Mm. Like, is this a joke? Like what? He said, that's your first lesson. Yeah. And uh, I said, what's that? He's like, plays don't win games. I don't have a playbook. Players win games. Mm. So I just said, like, well, what do you do? Like, the score's tied, the end of the game. You call timeout. Uh, Like, what do you do? He said, and he laughed. He's like, you give the ball to your best player and tell everyone else to get the hell out of his way. And I thought he was joking until we were in a game against one of our arch rivals. The score was tied. There's like a, a minute left. And he called timeout and he gave the ball to our best player and told everyone else to literally get the hell out of his way. Let's hurry up and win this game. I want to get out of here and go to dinner. And kid scores a game winning goal. We get the hell out of there. We go to dinner and like, he's just laughing. You know, when I looked at him, I'm like, how'd you, what? Like, really? And he said, I told you. Yeah. And it was yeah. just sort of like, it was a very unorthodox approach to everything. And I learned, you know, you win with people. Yeah. You know, X's, not the X's and O's, this is Jimmy's and Joe's. It's the same thing in the workplace as, as a leader, as CEO, you know that. You know, uh, you want to hire people who complement your skill set and, and have different talents and you, you turn them loose and you trust them to, to do the right thing and they will. Mm. And, and that's what I gathered through through his stories is that he put his team, like you said, they were his almost like family. They were his, you know, yeah. forty five sons every season, right? They were like family to him, and he treated him. He he knew each one their strengths, their weaknesses, and he knew who who the um, uh, what did you call it? They call it in the book the ones that uh, were the ones that were you know the the players. There were players. And the pretenders, right? Yep. And so, and, and and so he knew who the players were. He knew who the pretenders were, and he would call them out. But he knew his people, right? And I mm-hmm. think part of leadership uh, coaching is to know your players and know their strengths and know their weaknesses and, and be able to play to their strengths. And he knew that, and he was telling you that, hey, we're going to get the ball to our best player, and that's how we're going to win the game. We're going to keep things simple, right? And, yeah, and I, I think sometimes, uh, and I know this was the case with me with uh, coach is. Sometimes you don't realize you're being taught a lesson, mm. a valuable lesson until well after the fact. And that was never more abundantly clear to me than two years after I worked for him. Uh, I became a head coach through a job that he recommended me for and helped me get. And um, well, let me backtrack. So you, you know that. I kind of set the table for you with right. that. Uh, the day that I applied and he invited me to come in for an interview. When I got in there for the interview, um, 
I was expecting like to go to his office in the athletic department. He didn't have an office. He had a cubicle in the admissions office, kind of in the administrative building. It was, you know, like piled practically up to his head and papers and just junk and clutter. And he had a ton of plaques on the wall of his cubicle. And like, anyway, it was just a bizarre environment. I'm like, where am I going to sit for this interview? This is weird. I said, do you want me to pull up a chair coach? He's like, Oh no. He said, uh, you ever line a field? I'm like, no. He said, well, you're going to learn today. And so I'm like, suddenly feeling very overdressed and coat and tie and we go outside to the game field and get the paint and uh the paint machine and all that stuff and he's just talking to me asking me a couple just a couple of questions as you know we're lining the field and um at the end of it you know i i must have done okay because the end of it he just said you know um he said, the job's yours if you want it. The hours suck. The pay's practically nothing. Uh, but you get to work with me, and that experience is priceless. <laughs> you know? And I, I said, love it. I'll take it. You know, mm-hmm. I was just kind of really drawn in by him. So fast forward two years later, uh, you know, I had been calling him for advice from my office as a first-time head coach. And I said, uh, you know, I, I'm about to hire an assistant for the first time, like um, bringing people on campus for an interview. What kind of questions should I ask him? He's like, questions, interview. <laughs> just have him line a field with you. You'll learn everything you need to know about the guy. Yes. And I'm like, wait a minute. That whole thing where like, oh yeah, you know, don't pull up a chair. We're going to go line a field. Like it just seemed like I thought maybe like he was really busy and he didn't have time for me. No, that was the actual interview. That was the but interview. I, he never told me that. Yeah. You know, uh, it felt like I was on an episode of Punked two years later. They revealed it, you know. Um, but so that's that became my interview protocol. Like I'd literally have the person show up and, and just get to work with me, you know. Mm. And, and, and you learned so much about them as you observed them. In his mm-hmm. case, he was, you know, helping you were helping him line a field and he was just watching how you reacted to things that he would do. Yeah, he's kind of sandbagging, looking yeah. back, like he'd line up the uh, string, you go from one corner to the other, he'd line it up crooked just to see if I would adjust it or if mm. I just blindly do whatever, you know, do whatever with no attention to detail. Yeah. And the whole thing was a test. And I just think how often do we, are we not uh, aware of our surroundings enough to realize like every, everything's potentially a test. Right. And, you know, your audition for your next job is how well you perform today in your current role. Right. Right. Yep. That's exactly right. Well, that's good. And I think, you know, it's it, if if you, you know, when you read the book, it's it's in that that story is in the book, you know, and, uh, you know, <laughs> this what's funny about it is that every HR manager would throw up to hear that's how the interview process went. But that's really what you want to do. People you ever heard the expression? Well, he looked good on paper. Right. Yep. And we do that. We interview people based on what sure. they say that they're good at. But you, how much do we actually observe them in action? And I think, I think Coach Mills had a way to observe you in action and make some, some evaluations on you. And one of the you things I like, I like. You don't want to know what I think HR stands for. Well, we might have HR people listening. So the human resistance department, <laughs> hardly relevant department. 
I'm sure we'll get some feedback on that. Or you can edit that out. Just bleep me. You know? <laughs> no, we can't do that. We, we got to go. Uh, we got to go live with this. So. I, but I think that is like the approach that I bring to my role, you know, as a coach, and as a consultant, is game's not played on paper in sports. Right. You know? That's exactly right. And the game's not played on paper in business, the sport of business. Yep. That's exactly right. So you've got to get out there and you actually got to perform. It's not just on paper. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Deep Leadership. We'll be right back after a brief intermission. Hey, leaders. If you're anything like me, you drink coffee to power through your morning. But what about in the afternoon? For me, I start getting a little sleepy and unfocused around 2 p.m. So I like to do something to get me recharged and refocused. I've tried a bunch of different energy drinks. I've even tried that stuff that's supposed to last five hours. Most are expensive and caused you to crash later in the afternoon. I was introduced to a, a really good product by a fellow veteran. He told me to try Strike Force Energy. Strike Force is a veteran-owned company founded by a Navy SEAL, and their products are all made in the USA. Strike Force Energy is a liquid flavor pack that you can add to any beverage. It has zero calories, zero carbs, and zero sugar. Each pack contains 80 milligrams of caffeine. I actually add two packs and a liter of water in the afternoon. I get my water, my energy, and the great taste of Strike Force throughout the afternoon. I personally prefer the original flavor. Strike Force Energy is offering a discount to all the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to strikeforceenergy.com and enter the discount code I have the watch, one word, I have the watch, for a 20% discount on your order. Strike Force Energy, fuel for your fight. There's a lot of lessons in this book. I mean, it's just, and I really encourage all my readers to get this book and read it because I think there's there's so many lessons. But how much, um, how much of these are, are uh, or what are some of the lessons that you took away from working with uh, with Coach Mills? What are some that are in the book that people need to read? Leaders especially need to, to, to you know, to, to grasp mostly the the people side of things and how he. Um, you know, how he, his, his approach towards people, I think is one, one of the areas I, I, I took away from a lot. The, uh, the example I love to give, and this is sort of my life's philosophy, thanks to him, mm. is your best ideas will always come from outside your industry. Okay. I, I firmly believe that hundred percent of the time, your best ideas will always come from outside your industry. And, um, the example that I'll share that's, you know, kind of, uh, topical and relevant today is how Herb Kelleher founded Southwest Airlines. Mm. Their regional commuter jet line, they didn't have a lot of planes. They weren't in a major, major hub or major markets. They were in smaller markets. They didn't have a big budget to compete with Delta, United Airlines, American. So, you know, they were feeling the stress of that. They wanted to grow. He couldn't grow. And he was burning the candle at both ends, working hard. And a couple of his buddies, you know, completely outside of the industry, just said, hey, man, you need to get away. Why don't you come up to uh, this NASCAR race with us? And he just kind of laughed. He's like, NASCAR? Why would I want to do that? You, you're literally just going to watch a, with a bunch of rednecks, these cars turn left all day. And they're like, there's more to it than that. Why don't you just come with us? You know, it became like a guy's weekend. He's like, all right, fine. And while he wasn't into the race, he's fascinated by the pit crew mm. and how fast they were able to change tires. 
you know, get the driver some water, uh, clean the windshield, fuel it up, and in a matter of seconds, get it right back out on the track. And that's when the light bulb went on for him. He's like, that's how we're going to compete in the airline industry. Mm. And, you know, the standard turnaround from the time you landed a plane, got everyone off, cleaned it up, fueled it up, you know, did whatever maintenance you had to do and got the new passengers on board and took off for the next destination in your routing uh, was an hour and a half, Mm. uh, maybe an hour and 20 minutes. And he decided to apply that pit crew philosophy and, you know, it turned into, uh, they call it the 20 minute turnaround. Mm. And if you've ever flown Southwest, you'll see when you're getting off the plane, even the pilots pitch in and pick up garbage in the aisle. And, you know, it's a team concept and it, it was an idea born of him watching a NASCAR race. Mm. So that's just uh, an example. I think everyone can kind of latch on to, uh, an example I learned personally from Coach Mills was simply um, be a lifelong learner and surround yourself with people in different industries that you can learn from and you can kind of take a page out of their playbook. And he had sort of a personal board of directors. Uh, He called them the three wise men. And these are people who were in the local community. I don't know if he met them through the Rotary or, you know, another civic group or the Chamber of Commerce, but uh, it was a, a preacher. It was a Marine Corps recruiter and CEO of a multimedia company Mm. and three very different leaders, three very different walks of life and throw him into the mix. And it's four completely different industries and it's very different personalities, but you know, they would sit down at the local diner for breakfast and, and use each other as a sounding board and, you know, kind of trusted advisors. And he sent me to meet with each of them. Mm. And that was life-changing. It added a level of respect that I had for him um, because he just seemed kind of eccentric. And, um, you know, when you've been doing what he'd been been doing for so many years, like you can literally pull stuff out of your back pocket. You've got all this, you know, wealth information, institutional knowledge, but it seemed very um, haphazard to me because I didn't realize, you know, like the value of having so much experience because I had none. Um, you know, I thought you had to have like a written plan, you know, on paper. And that wasn't him. You know, it was all in his hard drive between his ears from just many, many years of experience. Um so that finally became crystallized for me when I met with each of those guys and they talked about, you know, how much they revered him. Mm. You know, this is, uh, you know, if you think about like, I, I know you're uh, a Navy guy, but like, bear with me, the Marines, you know, um, they're not quite the Navy. I realized John, right. But they're yeah. one of the branches of the military. They're, they're a department of the Navy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the like, men's department. That's okay. What they, that's what they like to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like one of the highest honors, you know, a Marine can have is to become a recruiter, mm-hmm. you know, and to recruit future leaders that, you know, the national security is entrusted to. Um, so like, that's one of the most highly revered people in our community. And he looked up to coach, mm-hmm. you know, a uh, multimillionaire CEO of uh, radio and television and, and print media group. Uh, held coach in, in his highest regard and his circle of trusted advisors. I mean, it's, 
that's when I really, uh, really got it. Like, okay, mm-hmm. you need to surround yourself with people who, you know, view the world, your world, your business through a very different lens. Well, and and, a huge benefit to that. Well, and what I liked about the story is, again, he's your mentor, you're the mentee, but he exposes you to his three wise men, his three advisors. And, you know, basically, I don't know if it was a fall break or something, but he said, all right, put on, I've got, I've already got it lined up for you. You're going to meet these three guys. And in each case, you, you pulled away a wealth of information from those guys that, you know, influenced you as a coach later on. So what, what I liked about that is as a mentor, he exposed you to, you know, the people he trusted the most and, and wanted you to gain knowledge from them as well. And a lot of leaders think they have to have all the answers. You know, you're right, the guy in the right. front of the room leading the meeting, you know, whatever meeting it might be. Um, you don't have to have all the answers. You need to surround yourself with people whose talents and knowledge yeah. base complement you. Right, exactly. And I didn't realize that until he showed me that. Yeah. Mm, that's really powerful. Um, so why is mentoring so important? When it comes to either whether it's coaching or leadership, um, what 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 does what do we do? What what does mentoring actually bring to the table that maybe you don't get through, you know, going to college or studying or even internships? What what is what is the men- mentoring? Why why is that so important in leadership and coaching? What does that what does that bring to the table? And what does it look like when mentoring is done right? Well, I. Uh... I think there are two ways you can do anything, uh, two types of experiences you can have. You can have expensive experience or you can have inexpensive experience. Mm-hmm. Expensive experiences, thinking you can just go it alone, figure it out as you go. And that can literally in business be financially expensive. Uh, it can also be, you know, emotionally expensive mm-hmm. too. Uh, never mind, you know, the expense of your time. Uh, or you could have, you know, what coach exposed me to with those three mentors, you could have inexpensive experiences, which are uh, being able to tap into the minds of people who are further down uh, the path you're traveling. And uh, they can share with you, you know, a lot of the, the speed bumps, pitfalls, things to avoid. And then also, also give you some guidance on what to do uh, before you're ever in those situations. So, you know, one can be, uh, extremely painful if you try and go it alone and the other can really accelerate your learning curve, your growth. And I, I think that is the, the most powerful example of why we all need mentors. Even someone with 43 years of college head coaching experience, hundreds upon hundreds of wins and championships and awards, he still had at least three mentors Mm. that he turned to weekly, if not daily. Well, you talk about this a lot too. You say, you know, in a way, a leader is like an elite athlete, right? And elite athletes have coaches to help Mm -hmm. coach them up on whether it's strength training or agility or whatever their, whatever specialty they need to to get better at. And uh, I like the fact that you say that even, even the most experienced leader needs a coach to help them, you know, to be that sounding board, to help them with, you know, guidance, uh, to, to think differently when they're stuck on one particular idea. Uh, and, and, and I think that's your, I think what you're saying is that experience with, with coach Mills is that he had that, he had that group that he could talk to. He had that, he was, 
he was elite, but yet he had the coaches to help him along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at anyone who's elite in anything, uh, I love, you know, the lens I view the world through is typically sports Mm -hmm. that and country music, which is another whole podcast. (laughs) But um, so if you look at like an elite performer in sports, and I think, uh, you know, let's take basketball. I think Michael Jordan is absolutely the gold gold standard in all of basketball. He didn't have a coach. He had he had his coach who coached the Chicago Bulls, Phil Jackson, um, but he also had a private shooting coach. He also had a nutritionist. Mm. He had a strength and conditioning coach. He had a sports psychologist. He had a massage therapist. You know his his nutritionist wasn't also his acupuncturist. His nutritionist wasn't also his strength coach. Like Mm. he had a variety of coaches and. I think that's a great metaphor or a great, you know, parallel with the business world. You know, we all need multiple coaches because we are all corporate athletes, just like, you know, we aspire to be the Michael Jordan of our industry Hmm. and um, to have those multiple different lenses through which we can view our role. Because uh, we can't see it all. You can't see the picture when you're trapped inside the frame. Mm. And so often we get tunnel vision because, you know, we're in the thick of things ourselves. And, you know, that's why we need multiple different lenses, you know, to be able to see, you know, use as a sounding board and to help us get somewhere we can't get ourselves, which is really what a coach does. You know, mm. they help you become something that you didn't think you could. And they have conversations with you that you don't necessarily want to have, but you need to hear. And the best coach in my life as an athlete was my high school coach, John Disler. Mm. And uh, he was the one person in my life during my formative years when I could have gone down a really bad path uh, who was willing to have a difficult conversation with me. Just a a short five-minute conversation completely changed the trajectory of my life in high school. And I don't think I'd be who I am or where I am today without him. He constantly tells me, cause we're still in touch, constantly tells me I give him way too much credit. I said, I don't think so. I think you give yourself hmm. not anywhere near enough credit for what you've done. And, um, uh, but I think that is you know, a coach. They see something in you, you don't see in yourself and, hmm. and they pour into you, they invest in you. Hmm. I like in the book, you tell the story of, um, looking in the dictionary at uh, at coach versus the definition of a coach versus the definition of a teacher, and I actually after I read the book, I looked him up myself because because I'm that way. I got to see it myself, right? And yep. they're, they're the same definition, mm-hmm. and uh, I never knew that until I read your book. And the definition is to provide instruction. Provide instruction. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's really powerful. So this is really great, John. I appreciate that. And I really do encourage uh, everyone that's listening to get this book um, because I think you really need to see, uh, you know, going back to the ripple effect, just the effects that one person, one leader, one coach, one mentor can have on so many people. And um, I'm just, you know, after reading the book, I just had so much respect for Coach Mills and your experience and Coach Coach. Morgan Randall, who is the the character in the book, and you just you you fall in love with him by the end of the story. He was you know he's an old curmudgeon. He was very uh, 
unique and uh, uh, but but you you fall in love with him because he just cared so much for people. I, I don't think that book really did him justice, you know. Um, so what I've been striving to do is, you know, to um, kind of expose the world to Coach Morgan Randall, if you will, in a variety of ways. You know, uh, there's the book Seeds of Success, but uh, we also had it adapted to a screenplay for uh, a Hollywood major motion picture. Uh, that'll have to be independently produced because, you know, unless it's a uh, a superhero movie or a sequel like Rocky 15 or a remake <laughs> of something old, Hollywood is not investing in it right mm-hmm. now. Um, so, you know, that's something we're trying to do. But also in the meanwhile, kind of building a brand around Coach Morgan Randall. Um, that's sort of become a pen name for me. And Coach Randall has written a couple books himself. Yes. and. Um, you know, I think that's what we do to pay homage to someone and to help, you know, remember their legacy is just bring them to life in different ways. And, you know, that's what I've tried to do with him just to expose more people to the message than you would simply get through one book. Um, with that in mind at the coach Randall on Twitter yeah. is uh, a source of constant amusement for many, many people. Yes. I encourage you to follow him. Yes. John Rennie's one of his biggest fans. Yes. He's one. In fact, I met, I met uh, Coach Morgan Randall before I met Coach Brew. So, <laughs> so the irony of it all. The irony of it all. So, so um, John, what are you working on now? What's uh, the big I, new, What's the big news that's coming out? Uh, eventually, I'll be allowed out of my house because at the time <laughs> of this recording, we are. Uh, what What's the technical term you use for this? Uh, what is it? Uh, stay at home. I don't. What is it? Uh, Self-quarantine? Is it, uh, I don't know what it's called. Something in place. What I forget the oh, yeah, yeah. social distancing, self-quarantine, um, yeah. staying in place. I don't know Stay what they're place. saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's what we're all doing right now. And while I'm doing that, um, you know, I'm working on, you know, the finishing touches of my new book, Beyond Stadium Status. Yeah, uh, which is the sequel to my book, Stadium Status. Find out more about that at beyondstadiumstatus.com. And uh, really, um, you know, the stadium is the lens through which I view the world. And I think more people, not because I say so, but because it's such a great example, more people ought to view the world through that lens. If you think about like coaches, elite athletes, stadium status, uh, entertainers, they're all performers Mm. and they hold themselves to very high standards. Uh, They impact as leaders in their own right, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And they do it their way. They blaze their own trail. They're really kind of the ultimate entrepreneurs. I think there's so much, you know, learning uh, your best ideas from outside your industry. There's so much that business leaders can learn from stadium status performers. So I took a dive into that in my book stadium status and just based on reader feedback and demand people have been begging me for uh kind of more stadium status content so we're bringing beyond stadium status uh out very soon that's what i'm working on and i for one i'm very excited that's one of my favorite books as well stadium status is is well you're endorsing you're endorsing this Uh, bad boy so i'm I'm looking forward to the sequel so uh so i'm actually looking forward to it um I can tell you, you know, to my listeners, Stadium Status, one of other John's other books, 
is I live by the principles every day. I, uh, I learn techniques in that book that I practice every day as a CEO of my company. So uh, Stadium Status is an amazing book. Beyond Stadium Status will be even more amazing, right? The sequel is always better. Well, it better be, right? <laughs> right. I mean, uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, the squeakle was better than the original movie, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, uh, many people say the New Testament's better than the Old Testament. Certainly easier to read. Yes. So, you know, that's kind of my goal with this. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And um, so how can people connect with you, you know, get, get Seeds of Success, uh, find out about your new book? Where, where can they go? Um, you can go to coachbrew.com. That is the... Uh, the gateway to my community and uh, you know, all my social media is on there. If you want to follow, I think the best thing you can do is go to coachbrew.com, coachbru.com or misspell it coach B R E W either one will get you there and uh, sign up for my, e, uh, my e-news. You will get, uh, you know, sometimes it's weekly. Sometimes it's more than once a week, uh, a leadership performance tip article uh, from me, maybe uh, a podcast episode like what we're doing here. I distinctly recall doing a podcast episode, John Rennie. Yes. Uh, so um, you can go there. And then when you're there, um, what will automatically happen is you will receive a complimentary uh, issue uh, of my premium print newsletter, uh, which is my membership site. It's yesterday's underdogs which John Rennie is a member of. Yes. And uh, that complimentary newsletter issue is 12 pages and it is 12 ways to double your sales and double your results. So that is my gift to you if you go to coachbrew.com and sign up at the top of the page up there. I And I, and I encourage everyone who's listening to that to go to coachbrew.com. And uh, you, if you want to take your business to the next level, you want to take your leadership skills to the next level, Coach Brew is, uh, is good, and he is, he's been in the trenches. He knows what he's talking about. And he, he looks at business as uh, – he looks for the things that other people aren't seeing. I think he sees things that others don't, and he tells you that in his books, and he's helped me become a better leader and a better – CEO because of it. So really highly encourage all of you to go out there and take a look at that uh, and follow him on Twitter. There's always interesting things, especially on Fridays. We say he's going to mess oh, with yeah. any, he's going to mess with anything I put out on a Friday. You'll see that if you follow me on Twitter. So um, John, thank you very much for being on the show and I appreciate all of your insight. And I really appreciate you writing this book because I think, I think, um, it's one of the best books I've read on mentor and mentee relationships. So thanks for oh. writing that book and bringing it to the world, because I think we all have a better feel for, for coach Mills and now coach, uh, coach Morgan Randall as well. So. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast, John. I appreciate the kind words and uh, I learn every bit as much from you as well, my friend. Well, that's it for today. If you haven't done it already, pick up a copy of my latest book. I have the watch becoming a leader worth following it's filled with 23 short stories to help you become a more effective leader. It's super easy to read and most people finish it in less than two hours. To thank the listeners of this podcast, there's a special discount code for signed copies of the book. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and click the link for signed copies and enter the discount code DEEPLEADERSHIP at checkout to get 20% off your order and domestic shipping is always free. 
I hope you have a great week, and if you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Take care.